This is the word of God. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can, gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. All right, all right, what's, I'm gonna blow up. I'm gonna blow up. What's up? That's how exciting it's going to get tonight. You thought that was? Wait, that's nothing what we got in store for you. What's up, everybody online, whichever camera you're on, and everybody here in person. My name is Mark. I'm a campus pastor at the Allen Park campus, but tonight I'm with you, and I'm excited about it. I'm also a dumb parent, all right? And this is our support group, because <laughs> you are too, right? Come on, we all think back to those days. Don't you? You've done something, right, that you look back and go, yeah, that wasn't the smartest, right? probably could have done something different in that situation. What about when it comes to your kids and like, uh, like forgiving each other, you know, making up, right? Think about it. Did you ever do the like stand in the corner thing? Nose to the wall, right? They got to stand on the nose. Anybody ever do that? Well, my parents did it with me. That's why I messed up maybe. I don't know. I remember that. What about, um, what about like kiss? Did you ever make them kiss and make up? I see some heads shaking, I see some heads like, yeah, I don't know, all right, just wondering, did you ever do the repeat after me thing, right? You know, like, uh, all right, Johnny, uh, you need to tell Susie, Johnny, say, I'm sorry, Susie, for punching you with my Batman car, right? And now Susie, Susie, you need to tell Johnny, Johnny, I forgive you, Johnny, 
but now I'm sorry for biting you in your face after you punched me with the Batman car. All right, now Johnny, you say I'm sorry. You just, it's a fun game when you have kids like this. You teach them the, how do you do this? How do you teach kids to make up? It's a big deal, right? Does anybody just let their kids just go at it? I don't care. Brawl, cage match, duke it out. I don't care, I'm done. I hope not, right? No, of course you don't do that. Weirdos, no, nobody does that. Why? Because it's important to you that they love each other and learn how to love each other, right? I mean, they're kids. They're learning how to do this. It's not okay. It's never going to be an option to like not love each other or not be brother and sister. But in the midst of the fighting and anger and not toy sharing or whatever, your only option is to learn how to forgive, how to make it right with one another, kiss and make up, whatever you want to call it. And we work really hard as parents to do that, sometimes smartly and sometimes not so smartly, but we work really hard. And maybe your parents probably worked hard to teach you. And yet as we become adults, you know what? We forget this stuff sometimes. We don't do the same things that we taught our kids. And so we're going to have a little, we got, we, we got a reminder tonight, this weekend. It's talking about divorce. Because we struggle with this as adults sometimes. All right? So, hey, um, if you get your young kids with you, elementary kids, want to encourage you. You can take them to our kids' ministry. It's, they'll have an awesome time over there. Uh, get them checked in and then hurry right back. But if this is your first time, because we're going to be talking about some sensitive stuff. If this is your first time with us, Ben's already welcomed you. Glad that you are here. Um, the teaching is from God's Word on divorce. He talks about this. Um, and so as Christians, we're, we're obligated to honor him, to obey him and his word. If you consider yourself not a Christian, I, I'm glad that you're here because you are putting, you're placing yourself in a position where you can allow God's word to speak into your life. Way to go. That's awesome. I'm going to encourage you, even though you're not necessarily responsible for God's word right now, we're not, if you're not a Christian, then I want to encourage you to maybe try it out. Test some of this stuff in your life. I think you may find that it works. But for all the Christians in the room or watching online, we don't really have an option anymore. We said yes to Jesus. And so now we look into God's word for guidance. And so we obey him. We honor him. She's excited about it. I hope you are too. Because that's what we're going to do. We open up this series, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 through 7. And in the beginning, we heard that, we found out that we're not to judge sinners outside the church, but we are to judge sin inside the church correctly, right? And then we learned that we are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit and expected as Christians to become holy, to be holy like our God is holy. So we obey Him. We learned that we are now in God's nation. Uh, it's a new nation, and he's our king, and we have pledged our allegiance to him, which means we obey him above all else. Um, we also learn that our bodies are no longer our own. They were bought with a price, right? And so we honor God with our bodies and obedience and things like sex, relationships, marriage, singleness, and yes, even divorce. We honor God with our bodies and obedience. Divorce is nothing new. All of those lessons, all the messages, you can check them out, watch them online, or you can listen to the podcast, by the way, all right? But this divorce topic, it's nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years, right? And yet we still struggle with it. For the Corinthians, it was nothing new. They were dealing with it, this letter that, you know, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago. The message, the, top, the, idea, the title technically was ideal divorce. Is there such a thing as ideal divorce? 
I, I don't know. I don't think so because it's not really God's ideal. However, what we're talking about, what, it, what God's Word does talk about is this. If regrettably it becomes an option or necessary, then God does have an ideal way of divorce. It's not just for any reason. He has reasons within his word that he uh, concedes in these circumstances, divorce can take place. It's important that we talk about this because oftentimes in our culture, we've gotten really lax in what's allowed. Anything is allowed, permissible. And even in the church with Christians, so it makes us uncomfortable possibly because a lot of us might have some baggage. We might be divorced or going through or maybe in our second or third marriage or maybe our parents or grandparents. I, we've all been touched by this. And so we get a little squirmy when we talk about things like this. I want you to know something up front. Listen, no matter what you've done or have done or are doing or will do, here's a fact. God loves you. He's already made you and fearfully, you know, wonderfully and fearfully made you in the image of God. He loves you, and he has grace for you. But God wants what's best for you. He's not holding back on you. He's not trying to keep you from having a good time or to enjoy life. He actually wants what's best for you. So you're going to trust him? That's what we're going to learn. We can trust him. Because these Corinthians, that's exactly what they were asked to do. I mean, they grew up in a very sexually permissive culture, very much like our culture, except probably maybe even worse, don't know. But a lot of them grew up with alternative lifestyles, sexual encounters, and experiences of all kinds. And so now, now they're Christians and they're being taught God's Word, and so they're learning how to be obedient to God in their situations, in their context. After being, most of them, a lot of them were married or they're just sexually active. And now they're being asked to live in a very countercultural way, obeying God's word instead of just any desire that comes in to them, right? Their culture was just follow your desires. Anything was permissible. And God's word says, no, you honor God with your body. And they're learning this, and this is difficult for them because now they're in these marriages or these sexual relationships, and they're just all jacked up, messed up, man. And so they're like, what do we do? And it's very difficult to obey God in their context. God's ideal, we've already said this last week in particular, but God's ideal was that a man and a woman, a single man and a single woman would stay celibate. You would just enjoy singleness and contentment with God. But if you choose to be married, then you enter into a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman, and it should not be torn apart for anything except death. That's what Scripture says is marriage. Culture doesn't define it. Government doesn't create it. God's Word defines it for us. In our country, however, it's a contract. It's a contract between two people. Two people can enter into a contract. But God called it a covenant, not a contract. And too many Christians buy into the concept of a contract. Let me, un let me help you understand. A, a contract is, I agree to provide this, you agree to provide that, and if at any point... One of us, both of us don't provide what we agreed to, then this contract is null and void. We're no longer partners. I can back out. That's a contract. A covenant, God uses the word covenant, and he even uses his relationship with Israel in the Old Testament and with us as the illustration for marriage. He says, I have a covenant with you. He says, I will never 
forsake you. I'll never leave you. I will always love you. And think about in history, the Israelites, the Old Testament people, they, oh, they, they rebelled against God. And what did he choose? To love them, to be faithful to them. We rebelled. Scripture sometimes says we spit in his face, right? We said no to his amazing gift. We rebel, and yet what does God choose? He chose to be faithful and to save us. You see, a covenant, a contract is like, you know, if you make me happy, I'm good. If you don't make me happy, I'm out. A covenant says even if you don't make me happy, I'm, I'm in because I covenanted, I, I committed myself to you, I gave myself to you. It's two totally different things. I, I'm, I, have, I have lots of, uh, my, my wife and I, right, we uh, November, uh, 21 years old. We were 21 years old when we got married. We entered into our marriage covenant when we were 21. This November will be our 22nd year anniversary. It's crazy. We were kids, man. We were like babies, had no clue what we were doing. And so here we enter into this covenant, right? What is that? Well, we found out. But I want you to understand first this. My wife is a covenant, not a contract. I work, right? And if you work, then you, you agree to do the work that you're asked to do, and then you agree to get paid, right? That's a contract. If you hire somebody to do some work for you, right? That's a contract. We understand that. My wife is not a contract. Your spouse shouldn't be a contract. It's a covenant. It's not, hey, if you, if you do what I want you to do, if I get what I get out of this, then I'm good. And if not, then you're out because it's a contract. It's a covenant. God's Word says it's a covenant, and sometimes we've forgotten that. It's very important. Here's our big idea, okay, for the next. Uh, seek to stay married, but let them go if they want to leave, right? Seek to stay married, but let them go if they want to leave. The Corinthians were struggling with this because they were in jacked up relationships and marriages, and they just wanted out. Now they're coming to know faith. They're coming to faith in Christ and like, listen, I don't like them anymore. I want out. And wait, no, you can't just say no. You can't just say I'm out. God's ideal is to stay married. For that marriage covenant to stay faithful to one another. That's his ideal. So we're going to take that first half of this statement, our big idea. We're going to talk about that first. Just like we would teach our kids, we should kiss and make up too. We should work hard. That's the ideal. And you know, no fault... Divorce came into existence basically in our country in the late 60s and 70s. And you go back and you think about historically, all of a sudden it became much more lax and it happened more and more and more over time. And no fault that in that moment, that's when we declared as a nation, we declared that divorce is good for kids. Because if mom and dad aren't happy, if mom and dad aren't getting along, then the kids are going to be sad. And so divorce is good for the dad, good for the mom, and good for the kids. And now we're suffering the consequences of that. There's a book, one of the best books written about this is actually called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. It's a study done on 131 families that experienced divorce, and it's actually on their children over the course of their lifetime, the effects that it had on them over the course of their lifetime, not just when they were babies or when they were kids. And what they discovered very, on, they were, very early on, there were obvious implications for those children. One of the first being, one of the first immediate being emotional. So mom and dad suddenly aren't living together. They're not together. The kids' world changes. Everything about them changes because they're not together. They're no longer living together, and often they're arguing with each other. They're fighting with each other to varying degrees. Depends on the couple, right? 
And then mom and dad separated. So now you've got two homes, two lives, two schedules, two backpacks, two beds, two sets of clothing, all of the stuff that goes with that. And then all of a sudden you've got to worry about schedules, like, ch- like uh, money, because oftentimes the child and children end up with a mother. Now mom has the same job, but she's got more costs to take care of kids. And so maybe you enter grandmother or family member to take care of a child, or maybe um, daycare, child care comes into existence, child custody, arguments over the time spent with one another. Sometimes the kids use as a pawn between mom and dad to get what they want, right? Emotionally, it's very difficult. The entire landscape of that child's life has changed dramatically, immediately. Emotionally, it's devastating, the whole social environment. But it doesn't stop there. What the study goes on to prove is this. Actually, the biggest consequences are later in lives, in their 20s and 30s. When you're about to enter that age where maybe you're thinking about marriage, it begins to put unstable thoughts and fear into you. And so maybe you're one of those, like me, a child of divorce, and you get in your 20s and you wonder, wait a minute, can I, can I marry? Am I going to screw this up? Wait a minute, is she going to... Is this, is, the, is that the guy? I don't know if we can, should I, is, is marriage even good? I mean, if we're honest, you're dealing with it. The thoughts go through your head. The truth is, if we're going to be really honest, divorce has lingering effects for the rest of your life. I'm 42 years old, and I'm still dealing with the effects of my mom and dad getting divorced. It's okay. I know they love me. It's a fact. Can't pretend that it doesn't affect. And sometimes we use those statements in our country and our culture like, oh, we'll just wait for the kids. We're doing it for the kids. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm not gonna, don't pretend. Don't say, don't be naive. Don't be ignorant. We're adults. We can be honest with each other. You're not doing it for the kids. That's what some of the studies are showing us. This is serious. Because you've been impacted by it. All of us have been just about, whether it's you or your parents or grandparents or friends or loved ones, it seems like all of us know someone who has been affected and it implicates us all. Well into our lives. The truth is, divorce sometimes, it's like this myth around divorce. Like, divorce says it's finished. It's over. It's finally over, right? I just want this to be over and let's let's just get divorced to make this over. But that's the lie. It's never over especially if you have kids. It's never over. Those kids are going to grow up. They're going to have recitals. They're going to have sports games. They're going to get married one day, and guess what? You're going to be there. Maybe grandkids in the future, holidays, step-siblings, step-families. The truth is it doesn't end anything. It just makes it a lot more complicated. That's the truth. All these new people to deal with and all these new consequences and situations you have to deal with. Divorce doesn't end anything other than the covenantal relationship that God set up. I know some of you are newlyweds and I'm just saying this, listen. The truth is that all of us are probably every married couple. The Corinthians struggle with this, we struggle with this. Every married couple at some point, you're probably gonna think about divorce. You're probably going to think about it. You're probably going to be feeling like, I'm done. I'm out. It's okay. I know some of the newlyweds are singles like, no, never, right? If I love Jesus, must never, never. It's okay. Hopefully never, but possibly. 
And that doesn't mean it's horrible. It just means that you might because two sinners get together into a relationship and sinners have a tendency to hurt one another. And so over time, you begin to hurt each other and you don't like each other because you're being like sinners and you're treating each other that way. And then sometimes you're like, I don't want to be in this anymore. The thoughts may come, most likely they will come at some point in your marriage. So here's the question that's most important is this, what are you doing now to, preparing, to prepare yourself and your marriage for the day or the weeks or the months when that arguing, when that anger, when that frustration, when that temptation comes? Not pretending like it's never going to come or thinking that it's horrible and we're evil people if it does come, but preparing ourselves for it when it does come. Are you just going to listen to your emotions and feelings? Are you just going to listen to the culture around you, what a lawyer says? What if everybody around you tells you exactly what you want to hear, what your heart tells you in that moment? What are you going to do? What if God tells you something different? And if you're a Christian, our options kind of ended. When we said yes to Jesus, we obey Jesus. So before any of us make any more decisions about marriage or divorce, can you put a pause? Can you let God speak into your life, whether for the first time or for the whatever time, and say, God, what are you wanting? What, what honors you? What's the ideal for you in our, our situation right now? Remember, we've pledged our allegiance to God. We need to learn how to be obedient in the situation that we find ourselves in. You can't change the past, but with God, you can, He can change your future. It wasn't just the Corinthians that were dealing with this. Jesus was asked about this, and here's his answer. It's pretty crazy. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. <laughs> this is the next verse a lot of times people don't read. Here's what Jesus' disciples said after they heard Jesus say that. Here's what they said. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry, dude. Like, whoa, that sounds serious. Understand, in their culture, there was a lot of divorce happening. Even in the Jewish faith, you could be divorced for just about anything. It wasn't, I didn't like you anymore. I don't want you anymore. You could get divorced. It was happening a lot. And the disciples were like, whoa, you mean like you have to like stay together, stay together? Whoa, that's crazy. That's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. Divorce isn't, isn't the ideal. It's a concession. It's a concession to the hardness of our hearts. So yes, we therefore discourage divorce. We encourage reconciliation and the healing of any marriage whenever possible. That's the goal. Adultery isn't the opportunity for divorce. It's the occasion, first and foremost, for Christian grace, grace forgiveness, and restoration. God, yes, allows it, but he hates divorce. Malachi 2, take heed then on your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce. It's a concession for the sin that's in the world and the sin that's in my heart and in your heart. It's not just an action of the courts. It, ser it severs that oneness that was supposed to be forever, at least till death parts us. Divorce is not the ideal. It's more like the last resort, uh, only a true concession because of the sin that's in our life. The hardness is in our heart sometimes. And as Christians, we have to recognize that God sets the standard for ideal divorce. There are circumstances that he says in these circumstances, it's permissible. 
We have to understand them, understand them so that we can obey them. We can choose to trust Him even in these very difficult situations. When other people may be telling us different things, remember our big idea? Seek to stay married, but let them go if they want to leave. Work it out. Kiss and make up, just like we told our kids. That's the ideal. Is it easy? Of course not. Is it painful? Of course it is. But it's worth it. And so what God asked us to do. That's the first part. And the second part, now we'll deal with that. Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Understand this. Even when you're at your worst and the worst record, even if you are divorced and you, your spouses, we should still live at peace. There's so many people that don't live at peace and just are bitter with their words and angry and just angry with their words in front of their kids, to their kids, in front of everyone, just anger. That's not peaceful. If you're a Christian, we should live at peace with everyone. That's a command. It's a choice that we choose to obey Jesus. Even with people that are our enemies, Scripture says, we can be at peace with them. Only after we have exhausted every available resource and opportunity for staying married do we even consider or think about talking about divorce. And so what are the things that are permissible in Scripture in the eyes of God? Well, first and clearest is death. If your spouse dies, sadly, but obviously, there is no more covenant relationship. There is no one to have a relationship with. The covenant is severed. 1 Corinthians 7, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So you ask, does that give me permission to kill my husband if I'm sick and tired of him? I'm done? No, okay? <laughs> like, hey, baby, I got some new seasoning for your burger. No, 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 that's, that's a no-go. In the Old Testament, New Covenant, it's a no-go. That's called murder, okay? It's a biggie, no. All right, so now we've got that taken care of. As a Christian, though, if your spouse dies, you have permission to marry or to stay single. Paul says he encourages you to stay single so you can devote more time to God. But if you do choose to be remarried or to date again, then do it in a godly, ideal way, all right? One thing, you need to consider your kids and other people involved in this. What are their wishes? What's going on in their lives? How does this affect them? Take their thoughts and lifestyle into consideration as well. Talk to them first. Cindy's already told me my options are if she dies before me, uh, celibacy, and that's it. I'm like, if you marry or date someone, I'm going to haunt you both. That's what she told me, all right? That's all I know, okay? But you need to take your family's consideration, and then we highly recommend you take some time off from dating of any kind, at least a year or more. Like, just get to know what singleness is, or for the first time, what singleness, how to be content with God right? And then if you do choose, then do it in a godly way. We're going to talk about that next week. God's ideal for singleness, so make sure you come back. The second reason or the next reason that we know is permissible by God is adultery. Jesus reiterated or reconfirmed what God said in the Old Testament. Adultery is permissible when 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 your spouse is unfaithful sexually. However, the goal is still even in adultery, reconciliation, and restoration. The first option isn't just divorce. It's restoration. The goal is that the cheating spouse would repent, ask for forgiveness, and the relationship could be restored. Is it easy? No. Is it painful? Yes. Does it take a long time to restore trust? Of course, and there's lots of boundaries and things you put into place, but it is possible. I've seen it happen in numerous relationships. We've been unfaithful to our relationship with God, haven't we? Our covenant relationship with God, and He still chose to forgive us if we repented. It's the same that God has done for us that we could demonstrate to even the unfaithful spouse. That is an option. That's the goal is to still be restored. I've seen it. 
It's not impossible, but it's definitely difficult. So here's what I can tell you. Do the, do the hard work now so you don't get there. Please, please do the hard work now. Admit your issues. Get counseling. Get some help. Like, don't let pride or what other people may think about you get in the way. Don't pretend. And please, don't use that, that, that phrase, we're going to stay together for the kids. Please don't. Don't do that on your kids. You're adults. Get help. Go get help. If your car was broken down, you don't wait two years. You get it fixed. If your marriage is broken, you go get it fixed. You work on it. It's a job. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's worth it. There's some books up on the screen right here. Take a picture of this screen. Right, just There's a bunch of books that can help you out right now. Pick one of them, two of them, and go through them together. Even if your marriage, you think it's great, go through some of these. Work to stay together. Because there may come a day when you're frustrated with one another. Work to stay together. Even if it ends up in divorce, even if you work so hard to stay faithful, it's worth it. There may be some Christians online or right, or, or, or right here. You may be thinking the grass is looking greener somewhere else right now. Please pause. I mean, seriously, pause. Before you commit adultery, work on it. Do whatever it takes. Think about your kids, your grandkids. Think about your God. The next one is abandonment. That's another allowance for divorce when the unbelieving spouse leaves you. 1 Corinthians 7, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. If you're married, right, and then all of a sudden one of you becomes a Christian, then you can't just say, boom, get out of jail free card, I'm done with you. No, you stay faithful to that person and now you love them like God loves you. You pray for them so that they may come to know Christ one day. You faithfully love them like Jesus loves you. The apostle Peter said it like this, Likewise, wives, he also said this to husbands in the next verse, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be one without a word but by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You can't just force them out. You love them. You stay faithful to the commitment that you made, the, 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 the covenant that you made with them. However, if they don't like your new lifestyle, if they, maybe you were doing drugs together, maybe you're going to strip clubs together, maybe you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff that's against God's laws together, and now all of a sudden you said no to those things because you're going to honor and obey God. So you're saying no to those things, but you're saying yes to the commitment to your spouse. Maybe your spouse says, I don't like the new you. I don't want Jesus in this. Get out. If that happens... That's what Paul is saying. That's what God says. That's abandonment. They're choosing to leave you because they don't like this Christian version of you. Hopefully, maybe one day they'll come to the Lord and you can still be restored. But in that situation, then God says you're free from that. To either go, either, you know, uh, to be married or to stay single. There's one other that, that we see that we teach that we believe it's permissible. There's no command, specific command from the Lord. It's kind of silent on this, but it's abuse. If your spouse is abusive, they've basically, in effect, abandoned you. They don't love you anymore. You should at least, at the bare minimum, separate yourselves from them. Protect yourself and your children and get out and demand that they get help. Maybe it's alcohol and drugs that are leading to it, or maybe it's just anger, whatever's in their life. Get help and wait a significant amount of time till they get better. And don't come back until you know that it's better. 
You could also go back to 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul says disfellowship them because if someone who is in a, a Christian who is in a continual lifestyle of unrepentant sin, then you, no long, you treat them as a pagan. You know them, but they're no longer a brother or sister in Christ. Because if someone's abusing you physically like that, they are not acting like a Christian. So you can disfellowship with them. them. This is tough stuff, man. But here's, do not water down that word. That word. What about, man, she is nagging me. She is, he is, he's mean, I don't like him. We don't love each other anymore. We just don't even, can't stand each other anymore. They're just frustrating me nonstop. They're not attentive to me whatsoever. All of those situations, you need to have counseling on a case-by-case basis. You can't just paint this stuff with a, break, with a broad brush and like a black or white answer. But don't water down that word. Listen, when Cindy and I got married or before we got married, we talked about divorce. And I said, listen, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to choose divorce. My parents got divorced. I'll never do that to my kids, to my spouse, to myself. Never going to do it. And you can say, yeah, I know you're 21. That's very naive. And oh, how sweet for you to say that as a little bitty baby kid. I know, but I'm in it. I'm never going to choose divorce. And so Cindy, she said yes. But you know what? Two, three years into the marriage, dude, oh, it was bad. We were dreading coming home, sick of the same argument, sick of fighting, sick of this, sick of that, sick of each other. And you know what we said often? We're not getting divorced. You're stuck with me, so we better work this out. And a lot of people tell you, well, that's not very romantic, and I disagree with you. I disagree with you vehemently. I think it's one of the most amazing and thoughtful and considerate things for anyone to say that they would lay down their lives for another person. My wife to say that, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice somehow. I'm going I'm to figure this out because I'm committed to you. What's more romantic than that from a husband to say, you know what? I'm not getting what I want right now. Instead of packing my bags, I'm going to work this out with you. For my kids, for their grandkids, for my family, for my God. It's the greatest thing you can do for someone, your spouse and your family, to work things out if it's at all possible. But God has grace for each single one of us. There is no such thing as an ideal situation that we all live in. All of us are broken in different situations. And so make sure you have conversations with the right people so you can figure out where you are and what God's word says into the situation that you find yourself. It's the same love that God demonstrated for you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe... Maybe you're divorced or your second or third marriage. I don't know where you may. You're not in the ideal situation, but God has grace for you where you are. God loves you where you are. God has forgiveness where you are, but he also has a better future for you where you are. He has, you can trust him. The song that we sang earlier said you can look back and see how faithful he is and look forward to see what he has for you. He's got something better for you. So the, the choice, the question right now is this, whom will you trust? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us and demonstrating your love for us in Jesus Christ in his death and sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for being a God that, 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 that communicated with us what love is, what marriage is. You even communicated with us what your concession in these difficult situations when in our sinful, stubborn, hard hearts, God. So I'm praying for anyone in this room or listening, God, if they're in this situation, they need love, they need forgiveness and grace. And so we love them and want to help them. God, we have grace and mercy for them. But also you have something better for them. I pray that we all choose to trust you.
more than anything else. That's what's best. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen.